Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. personally looking forward to today and uh, to next Sunday and oftentimes when you have that kind of anticipation for so long um, they become times to where I wish I could put it in better words than I can describe it but we are at a pinnacle point in redemptive history and uh, we started this series about eight months ago, and I've been looking forward to this Sunday because of this text. So if you would open your Bibles to Matthew 27, Matthew 27, we're going to be mainly in verses 45 to 56, and it is an amazing text. We've been uh, traveling through the Gospel of Matthew, and here in the recent Sundays, we've been seeing as, uh, in Genesis 3 terms, we've kind of been seeing as Satan has been laying out his uh, bruising blows on uh, Christ, Uh, but here's the cool thing, Satan is about to be punked uh, in this because he thinks he has victory as Christ hangs on the cross and gives up his life. But uh, there is a whole other plan that God has in place. And it is a stunning thing because Christ is laying out and in the midst of laying out his lethal blow on Satan. And it's a cool, cool thing. Well, there's been contempt all around Christ uh, for these past couple Sundays with the text we've been in. It's been heavy and so many ways it's been dark. And, and we're at the place now where Christ is on the cross. He's going to give up his life today in the text, and uh, we're going to savor it. Uh, a couple things from last Sunday I want to uh, bring to mind. Uh, uh, part of that it has to do with three things I made mention last Sunday that I want to make mention again uh, today as we get going, because all three of them show themselves in the text. And the first one is that we live in a contemptuous world We live in a contemptuous world. We live in a world, Genesis chapter 3, where sin came into the picture of it all, and it's a sin-cursed world, and we're sin-cursed people in all of that, and and that's the fact. This is not heaven. Uh, In many ways, I go, thank the Lord for that, Uh, because if that's the case, um, heaven's not so awesome. Um, But we live in a contemptuous world. Uh, A second thing that we took a look at is, is when there is contempt love, when there's contempt love, that's basically what Christ is doing in this whole text here. How, why doesn't he just get to the point as he's walking to the cross where he's like, you know what, I'm so done with all of you, I'm just going to like fry you all out. And uh, yet he doesn't, and uh, in scripture we have this call, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and others as well. And uh, we're to be a people that love we're the, when there is contempt, love. And third, the gospel is good news. Contemptuous world needs to hear some good news because there's a lot of not so good news in our world today and things that are going on. But the gospel is good news and it's a solution. And we are here in this. We're going to see the good news. We're going to see those three statements show because in spite of the contempt that is going on, 
Christ is lovingly loving the Father, loving us by going to the cross and paying the price for sin and making sin, uh, 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 forgiveness of sin available and relationship with God available for all who would receive, and that is great news. So let's uh, dive into our text here. Uh, You can see in your sermon notes page, there's no sermon outline today. That's on purpose. It wasn't because uh, I got so late in the week and didn't have time to give them anything to print. Um, It was because on purpose, sometimes I think there are just some texts where honestly I think outlines get in the way. Uh, Sometimes having some nice homiletical kind of a thought poetry bow Uh, to put it all around actually holds it down. So today, I want us just to be there as it is, see it as it is, experience as it is, take it in as it is, and and just uh, have amazing good news as it is. So let me pick up actually verse 35, get a running start here. Uh, Verse 35, and when they had crucified Jesus it begins with. Uh, he is not dead yet. Uh, that'll be in our text today. But they crucified him. When they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. And then they sat down, kept watch over them. And over his head, uh, they put the charge against him on a sign, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Uh, then two robbers or two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, they were full in, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. And so also, the chief priests with the scribes and the elders, they mocked him as well, saying, uh, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. Uh, no, you won't. That's not in the text, that was an aside. Uh, Verse 43, he trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him. Uh, For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers or the rebels who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. There's contempt all around the cross going on as Matthew presents it to that point. And now we come to our text for today, beginning verse 45. Uh, These first couple verses are just uh, key here. Let's take the first one, verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until which hour? The ninth hour. Hey, I got a question on this. Who cares what time it is? Like, let's get to what happened. I mean, really, why why does Matthew waste papyri on here to write uh, and tell us what time it is? Um, Actually, I think there's some really important things that come out of this. So much of what I want to try and do today is I want to try and bring some connections in place as to what was going on when Christ died on the cross. Because, friends, I think it's stunning what takes place. Hang with me. Let's try and pull some various connections together. So who cares what time it is? Well, the answer is uh, we care because of what's actually going on over in the temple ground area, over in the temple ground area, which is not that far away from Golgotha. By the way, just a connect note, if I can, in history, the temple grounds uh, where that uh, was constructed um, in Genesis 22, tells us that uh, that is also on Mount uh, Moriah is where Abraham sacrificed or was about to sacrifice his son Isaac 
God had asked Abraham to sacrifice a son whom Abraham had to wait like 20 some years for God to kindly come through on his time plan for him to have a son and then his only son, God asked him to sacrifice him, which is a blow our mind thing. Abraham is thinking, well, well I'll, I'll be faithful to the Lord. I'll, I'll continue with what God says to do, uh, believing, we see in the New Testament, believing that God will raise Isaac from the dead. And, and so uh, as Abraham is about to to uh, sacrifice his son, all of a sudden, bam, God speaks out, and God provides on Mount Moriah a ram. A ram is a male lamb. And by the way, then we come into Second Chronicles, we find out that the temple is built on Mount Moriah. Where the temple ground is, is, is right around where Abraham and that whole event was taking place. Friends, I'm telling you through the whole scriptures, there are so many connection points with what's taking place. So with just even that little piece of information in mind, uh, let's kind of uh, make a move here uh, from 2,100 years about before uh, the death of Christ to about 1,500 years before in Egypt. In Egypt, what takes place? In Egypt... Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh, and they do the infamous, let my people go speech. And Pharaoh does the infamous, no speech. And in that whole movement of it, God then says, okay, Mo, let's do some plagues. And so God lays out some plagues on the area of Egypt, and those include plagues one through eight, and then we come up to after plagues eight comes plague nine. And uh, I knew my math. And in plague nine, what happens? Plague nine, God shuts the lights off for three days. God divinely shuts the lights off for three days. Just keep this in mind, okay? He shuts the lights off for three days. What is plague 10 then? The lights come back on. Plague 10 comes into place. And God says, and God gives the directive to take an unblemished male lamb. To take an unblemished male, male lamb per family or per kind of group of families and to take it and to keep it in mind, set it aside uh, away from uh, the, the other flock for a, a, a short period of time and then on what has come to be Passover night is they are to take the lamb and they are to sacrifice that lamb. They are to take the blood of the unblemished male lamb and they are to paint it over the blood, over the door frames of their houses. And then when God, when the Lord passes over at midnight on that night, they are to not be out on the playground. They are not to be out in the desert with the animals. They are to be in their house, hunkered down under the blood of the lamb. And they are to remain there. And God's judgment passes over and those who do not have the covering of the blood of the lamb and them remaining by faith under the covering of the blood of the lamb that night, God delivers the plague. For those who remain under the covering, God passes over them. Remember, it is now in Jesus' time, it is Passover week to which they are remembering all of this. And the perfect lamb of God is on the altar of the cross. 
This is all connecting. And over in the temple ground, what's happening is at noon, in the evening sacrifice, and this is the evening sacrifice on Passover, at noon, the unblemished male lamb is at noon tied to the altar. The altar is right outside of the very inner workings of the, of the Holy of Holies area. It is outside, and it is tied to the altar at noon. It's tied to the altar at noon, which is the normal movement, until 3 p.m., when the evening sacrifice would then be sacrificed. Now, on this Passover, while Jesus is hanging on the cross over at the temple at noon, what happens at the cross? What happens? Answer, the text tells us. The lights go out. Sounds like plague nine. The word in the Greek is ge, again, is the word for uh, over all the land. There's discussion, is it over all the earth? Is it just the area? I, I happen to think it's just over Israel, as I happen to think that darkness was just over Egypt. In the text, I think it makes that pretty clear, but that, that's here nor there, but it's just a divine thing. Uh, there's all kinds of uh, trees that are killed talking about, so it was an eclipse, and that would be pretty hard because Passover is a full moon, so it would be hard to have an eclipse with that time. So, But in, in all this other movement of it, you then have, was it a sandstorm was the discussion. Can, can I just say this? Like, sometimes we make the Bible so complicated because if you look at the text, what does the text say? God made it dark. Who cares how? The fact is, is whether it was a sandstorm or some uh, eclipse or some really cloudy day, God made it dark. So why care about the time? Because what's happening at Golgotha, what's happening in the temple, all of this fits together, and that's why Matthew is telling us about these time frames because at the temple at noon, the selected, set-aside, unblemished male Passover lamb is brought and is tied to the altar. Imagine, there they are, tying the lamb to the altar at noon, and the clock strikes noon, and it goes dark. And it goes dark not for a minute, not for two minutes, not for five minutes. It doesn't go dark for ten minutes. It, it doesn't go dark for half an hour. It doesn't go dark for an hour. It doesn't go dark for two hours. It goes dark for how long? Three hours. So we're going to hang in here for three hours. The lamb at the temple is tied to the altar and <laughs> the lights go out. We're going to keep it dark in here for a little while. Some of you are glowing from your iPads, which is really cool. So just listen as I read. 
verse 46, in about the ninth hour, the ninth hour is 3 p.m. And at about the ninth hour, and by the way, the text is essentially not at the ninth hour, but right about, which is just slightly before, Jesus cries out with a loud voice on the cross. Oh, by the way, while over in the temple area, even though it's all dark, right about noon is when the priests are grabbing a hold of the the unblemished male lamb that has been tied to the altar. And right about that time as they're getting ready for this, over back on Golgotha, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, let me sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At the very time that this lamb is being prepared to be sacrificed, the perfect lamb is making a declaration of being forsaken by God the Father. The the word carries this idea of abandoned. It is this crying out, what happened? It is this sense of being abandoned by God the Father, being deserted by God the Father. Oh, friends, this is such a stunning event. I I don't think we even have the ability to begin comprehending this moment and why Jesus is declaring it the way that he is. This is when the great gospel exchange is taking place. This is the time when the son is taking on the cup that he said he would take. The full fury and the wrath of God, which includes out of it the fact of separation from the father. Some verses pulled together. Isaiah 53, 5, he has taken on himself our transgressions and iniquities. Galatians 3, 13, becoming a curse for us. 1 Peter 2, 24, bearing our sins in his body on the cross. 1 Peter 3, 18, the just one for the unjust. Becoming 1 John 4, 10, the propitiation for our sins, the sin offering in our place. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, the Father made him who knew no sin to be sin. As Matthew 20, 28 says, a ransom for many to the glory of the Father. So what's going on in the darkness in this noon to 3 p.m.? Two quotes put up on the screen. First, John MacArthur says this. Jesus was crying out in anguish because of the separation he now experienced from the Father for the first and only time in all of eternity. It is the only time of which we have record that Jesus did not address God as Father. Because the Son had taken sin upon himself, the Father turned his back. This is a great and imponderable mystery. In some way and by some means, in the secrets of divine sovereignty and impotence, 
I'm sorry, omnipotence. The God-man was separated from the Father for a brief time with Calvary. As the furious wrath of the Father was pouring out on the sinless Son who in matchless grace became sin for those who believe in Him. And Tim Keller, the forsakenness, this loss, was between the Father and the Son who had loved each other from all eternity. This love was infinitely long, absolutely perfect, and Jesus was losing it. Jesus was bearing out, was being cut out of the divine dance. Jesus, the maker of the world, was being unmade. Why? Jesus was experiencing our judgment day. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was not a rhetorical question. And the answer is, for you, and for me, and for us, Jesus was forsaken by the Father so that we would never have to be. The judgment should have fallen on us fell instead on Jesus that is the good news exchange let let me just read a little bit while it was still kind of dark verse 47 some of the bystanders hearing it hearing what Hearing Jesus say, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, uh, said, this man is calling Elijah. Why, why would they think he's calling Elijah? Well, because of the words Eli, Eli, or Eloi, Eloi, depending on the, 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 what the actual words was he used. But yet in it, when someone's hanging on the cross, been mutilated to pieces with it, they're probably thinking that they are hearing him crying out to Elijah. This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed, gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. It's interesting, Matthew doesn't tell us what he says, but John tells us that he declares, it is finished. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Friends, the life giver's life was not taken from him. The life giver's life was given up by him big difference. And at 3 p.m. in the gospel exchange, the lights divinely turn back on. And the perfect Lamb of God has sacrificed His life on the altar of the cross. The great exchange 
over here in the temple grounds, a unblemished male regular lamb for this evening's sacrifice at this Passover tied to this perfect lamb of God is nailed to the altar, the cross. This lamb, as it comes to 3 p.m. in the darkness and the chaos of it all, as they're getting ready to take its life, this Lamb of God is taking the full fury and the wrath of God. And instead of another Ba Lamb, blood poured out, the Lamb God, his body and his blood is poured out, and it is finished. And the lights come back on. How do you put it into words? keep reading some because the impact of it changes the scene around. Verse 51, and behold the curtain of the temple, it was torn in two from top to bottom. The, the curtain, I'm not going to go into the details of it, but, it's, but it's, a, it's an amazing device. It's an amazing curtain it, that it's there to keep from any possible entrance into the presence, if you will, the presence of God. It's a thing to keep all away from. In fact, once a year, the, the priest could go in and they would tie a, a rope to his ankle in case if he died, no one would go in and they just drag him out. No one goes in. And now, when it is finished, full access. And while this event takes place, the earth shook and rocks were split. Can you imagine out on the scene at Golgotha with all the people around, with, 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 with the Gentile Roman soldiers and all around, and all of a sudden in it all, and the lights shut off? Now what do you do? I mean, you don't have a generator. And it's dark, and, and they're there watching, and it goes dark. And, and what are they trying to figure out what's going on? And then for three hours it's like that. And even after Jesus having been put up on the cross, declaring earlier, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, how many of those Roman soldiers heard that? And then as time goes on, hours later, because uh, Christ is put up on the cross, we know from the other Gospels, at 9 a.m., uh, then six hours later, they hear it is finished, and the lights have been off for three hours, and now are on for three hours, and the whole earth shakes. At what point do you go, this is not normal? And the whole earth is shaking. Oh, by the way, the text, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, by the way, of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, not all of them, but many of those who were saints who had 
who were in saved by faith through grace. Verse 53, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. By the way, it's kind of like Matthew's writing this, and he's getting so cranked up about it. And he's like, listen, i got to tell you, this death thing and everything that happened, it's not just about death. It's actually, I've got to put it in right now, even though it's coming in the next uh, conversation about when he rises. i got to let you know, even when he died, it results in life. His death is not the end of the story. His death is not about death. His death is about conquering sin, providing life to all who would be saved by grace through his works. And after the resurrection, these peeps, these Lazarus likes, I want to talk to them. Can you imagine the mind blow? I thought you were dead. I was. Verse 54, and when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly this was the Son of God. They'd never seen anything like this before and they had done crucifixions many, many times prior. They were professionals at it. And there was not a single crucifixion that was anything like this. That the whole cosmos responds to it. That the earth shakes from it. And to look at this and to see it as just another interesting event in the period of human history, I just say, get real. This is something unlike any events in human history, folks. And what do you do with it? What are you doing with it? So oftentimes Jesus is proclaimed and Jesus is given calls in ways that fall so short of this. Like it's some, you want to be a little bit happier? Come to Jesus. I just want to say, that is a sham. That doesn't equate anything to what's happening here in the whole of it all. This is something far bigger, far deeper, far broader, far more fantastic than that. This is something that has been waiting since Genesis 3 to take place. Because Satan has dealt a bruising layout blow on this one. But the one that's hanging on the cross and just died, and Satan is thinking probably at this moment in time, woohoo, this is awesome. Know this the one on the cross is about to punk that lousy dude. And when we look at this and we just behold it as some kind of nice religious thought or some kind of cozy, grab a pillow, lay down, and have some marshmallows, that falls so short. The grandness of this. Before I bring some words of a song, I just want to look at the last words here because a shout out to you ladies Matthew has here. Verse 55, there were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him and among uh, whom were Mary Magdalene 
and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and as well, the mother of the sons of Zebedee. It's interesting, I think, that Matthew brings you in here because Matthew is so aware over history of bringing in Old Testament, particularly Isaiah, but also Old Testament things. And I actually think there's, there's, there's a potential tie here that's going all the way bringing you back to Genesis chapter 3 because what's going on in Genesis chapter 3? In Genesis chapter 3, if I can say this, hang with me, ladies. Don't get mad at me right at this moment. But Genesis 3 in the fall was not one of the shining moments in the life of, of womanhood. Um, when Eve bit it. Oh, but, but let me not leave that moment because men, uh, that was so like one of the worst moments in our history. Why do I say that? Because here's Eve uh, going at it with Satan and having this interaction. And here's Adam over here. By the way, look at the text. Look at the text in Genesis. Adam was with her. And we don't have a word from Adam. He's like stuck watching ESPN zoned out, disengaged, not involved, not coming into the battle, uh, the divine uh, theological battle at the moment of the time, he's just out. I'm telling you, I think there's so many similarities to that and what's happening with men today. And yet, I'll just say props, ladies, it's really a cool thing where now we jump here into Matthew and we find that, that there are some of the women who are their props. There's just kind of some moments where you got to rejoice in little things. We do know from John that the Apostle John was there with Mary. Um, but it's just cool that Matthew puts this in here. So what do we do with this? I would like to bring some words of a song I remember singing when I was a boy. A well-known hymn by Isaac Watts, When I Survey the Wonders Cross. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See, from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flowing down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That last statement is profoundly correct. How often do we consider, talk through, work through the work of the cross and we are moved, we are impressed, we are humbled. 
but to the point to where we behold it with such a way where we look and we go, oh my word, the connections of everything that's been taking place over the history of redemptive history of God's plan, over all of this is taking place, and even in the timing, the very minutes and hours of what's taking place at the cross, at the time of even when things happen, it is even connecting it all the way back to Egypt in the Passover, which is in the Passover week time that's taking place at the moment. Friends, I am telling you, this is so grand and so awesome that I don't know what to finish with. And I'm actually very serious about that. Last Sunday, I noted out of Corinthians that we plant, we water, but God gives the growth. If you would allow me to plant and water this as we prepare for a time of communion. I, I, I don't know what it is in the working of things that all of this connects for someone. There, there is something that goes on in someone that is invisible that we can't see. And yet God is the one who has to do the work in that person with the Lord in it all. And in it all, if I can illustrate it with magnets, there is something invisible that happens. But right now I'm pushing these together. And I know, Google the image and it shows all the north-south pole things going on. Blah, blah, blah. But something is invisible happening here that I, 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 I can't figure out. I can't change it. I can't force this together because the more I try and force it together, the more there is this invisible repelling of each other. And sometimes we try to force people into grabbing a hold of the grandness and the wonder of God. And I'm all for watering and I'm all for planting. But know this, something has to happen inside of a person that is untouchable and is unwireable. Where they need to be turned upside down in themselves. And something happens where they then enter into relationship with the Lord. Do you know Christ as your Savior? I don't mean do you know about the Lord. I'm talking about has there come a time in your life where you've come to understand that you are a sinner separated from God and there is one who paid the price for your sin and took the full wrath of everything and has made his work available to be your work. And as the Bible says, received him as your savior. Has there been a time where you have turned yourself upside down 
in the war of trying to earn favor with God through your own blasted little dumb works. And God has flipped you upside down. And you've come and you've repented and you've received Christ as your Savior. And you are held in place. By the way, how does that hang there? Seriously, how does that hang there? Because God does a work that only God knows and just can do. Because there come a time where you've come to know Christ. Because he has paid the price and he has made it available. There has never been a time where you've done that. You need to. And I'm not talking about a casual connect. I'm talking about an Isaac Watts words connect. All my life, all my soul, all of me. And those of you who are held by the work of Christ, he has taken everything that you and I deserve. Thank God. I want for us just to take a minute here of quiet. No music. No nothing. And I just want for you with the Lord just take some time right now. At the foot of the cross where mercy resides, God do a work amongst us now.